Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. This morning would be awesome. Thanks, band. Come on, why don't we give a hand to the band? And let's give a hand to the Lord as well while you're at it. Amazing. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Mason. I'm one of the pastors here at Resounds. Good to see you all. Good to see your handsome and beautiful faces this morning on this Sunday morning. We are in the middle of a series um, called At the Core, where we are talking about things that are at the core of our faith. Uh, We've spoken about the church. We've spoken about the Bible. We've spoken about God and money. Um, And then we kind of remembered we should probably speak about God. And so this morning, uh, we are going to speak about God uh, because God is obviously at the very core of what we believe in and um, why we're here, to come and to worship God, the God of the Bible. So we're going to speak about God this morning. Who is God? How should we think about God? Uh, How should we approach God faithfully? And I want to start by reading one of my favourite Bible verses found in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 6, whether through a dream or through physical, uh, I guess, transportation, God transports Isaiah into the throne room of heaven and Isaiah sees God in all of his glory. Isaiah's first response is uh, fear and reverence towards the Lord and he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And then Seraphim flies down from the throne room of heaven, picks up the coal of heaven, touches it on the lips of Isaiah and the coal of heaven purifies and makes his lips clean. The coal of heaven is a representation of Jesus and what Jesus has come to do for all of humanity to purify and to make us clean. And so Isaiah has seen God in all of His glory, right? And then he writes this in Isaiah chapter 40. He writes, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isn't that great? Isn't that an amazing uh, Bible verse? In that Bible verse just there, in Isaiah who penned those words, who saw the glory of the Lord and writes those words, a lot about who God is, is in that particular Scripture. Um, But when you think about God as a subject, how do we even begin to do God justice? How do we begin to even understand or explain uh, who He is? I think a really great place is to start from this. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. And His understanding, no one can fathom. So the first point of call when we come to approach God and understanding God is we need to understand that His ways are higher than our ways, that His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there is probably no way that we can fully understand Him. For His full understanding, no one can 
fathom. That is a great way for you and I to start when we approach God. And this is it, that God is way bigger than we could ever think, dream or imagine. He is utterly unique in all of His ways, high and exalted, above all else. There is no one beside Him, no one above Him. It even says He's the Alpha and Omega. So get this, there's no one even beneath Him. He is in a category all of His own. And so when we come to trying to understand the God that we worship, the best thing that you can do is understand that we have no analogies that sum Him up. There's none. There's zero. There are no analogies that you could give, that I could give you today, that would sum up your understanding of God. And it's actually a great place to start. Do you know what the Bible calls it? The Bible calls it God's holiness. Calls it His holiness. Now, what you have to understand is when I say holiness, or when I say God is holy, most of you would probably think that He's pure beyond pure and that He does the right thing, right? And you wouldn't be wrong in in thinking that. There is a part of holiness that is that. But because of the 19th century holiness movement that still has threads throughout the church today, that's all we think of when we think of holiness. The reality is when we speak about God's holiness, it speaks of His utter uniqueness. The fact that He is completely set apart from all else. The fact that there is nobody like Him. When Isaiah entered the throne room of heaven, he was in reverent fear. He had seen nothing like that. The radiance of God's goodness was actually dangerous to Isaiah because he was a man of unclean lips. The holiness of God is actually, the fact that He is so utterly unique and set apart is actually dangerous to us, not because God is bad, but because He is so good. And so what you have to understand is first and foremost, God is holy, which means what? He is utterly unique, completely set apart. There is nobody like Him on this earth. And as much as we try and understand Him, we can probably never fully understand the Lord. But can I tell you something? In His grace and in His mercy, you can know Him. So you might not ever understand in the fullness of who God is, but how good is God that in His grace and in His mercy, the coal of heaven has purified our lips, so to speak, so that you can know Him You can know Him fully. Psalms 113 says this, Who is like the Lord? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look at the earth and the heavens and the earth. There is nobody like the Lord. He is holy. And it's a great way for us to start. That's where we should start. Where should you start in your knowledge, your understanding of the God that we worship, we serve, the one that saved your life? is that He is holy. We should actually have a very high view of God. As Christians, we should have a very high view of who He is. As soon as we begin to lesser Him to our own understanding is when I think as Christians and as the church, we run into issues. God is called the friend of sinners. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. In Revelations, it says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever welcomes me in, I eat with them as a friend. But God is not just your friend. He is the God of the universe. And when we're talking about the foundation of our understanding of Him, it's really important that we understand that He is holy, set apart, utterly unique, and we have a high view of who He is. If we, as soon as we begin to lesser our view of God is when we run the risk of creating an idol God in our heart or we actually run the risk of believing heresies. 
Heresies meaning the continued teaching of something that leads us to sin. Most heresies come from a place of us lessering God so much in our mind and in our heart that we begin to understand Him so that we dare to make up things about Him. And so to have as a starting point and a foundation when we've come to talk about God is you actually have, you and I have to have a very high view of God. For if we have a high view of God, it actually keeps us safe when we come to approach God, if that makes sense. We're not going to create something up. It's only if we find it in His Word or we're going to have a very high view of God. We're going to play it safe. We're just going to say God is God and that is it. He is who He is. We should have a very high view of God. I said before that we can't understand Him fully and it's true. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And so point number one is, there are secret things. And I don't know if that messes with anyone's theology, but there are secret things that God has kept to Himself. There are mysteries on the earth. Who knows that? No matter how far we advance in technology and science and all these things, there will still always be mysteries. Why? Because the Bible says that the secret things belong to the, God, to, to the Lord. But then he says this, he says, but the things that are revealed, which means this, God has actually revealed things about himself through his word and now through his son, Jesus, he has actually revealed things about himself. And then it says this, Those things belong to us and to our children forever. And so the things that God has revealed about Himself, they belong to us and to our children. So first of all, there are mysteries in God and those mysteries belong to God. But He has chosen to reveal Himself through His Word, throughout history, through His ultimately through His Son on the cross, through God on the cross, right? He's revealed Himself. But here's the thing, the things He has revealed, they belong to us and to our children. The fact that it says to our children forever probably means this, that they are actually teachable. So there are things that we can know about God. And so we might not understand Him fully and completely, but there are things that we can know about God. And this is what we'll talk about this morning. What are the things that we can know about God? I wanna talk about a few things this morning. I just wanna talk about, first of all, God's triune nature. Who He is, we serve a God who is triune. And then His divine attributes. What I mean by that is there are a lot of attributes that make up God. If we said right now, describe God to me. You could yell out anything pretty much and most things would be like, yeah, there's an element of that in God and all those things. So there are things like God is a creator, right? So He is creative. You could say that an attribute of God is that He is creative. But also, there are also people, members on the band who are creative. So that attribute is not His and His alone. He has chosen to pass that on to His creation. When I talk about divine attributes of God, I mean they're the attributes that belong to Him and Him alone. And so we'll talk about some of those and we'll talk about His triune nature. Is that cool? Amazing. God is triune in nature. Get this. We believe in one God who exists as or in three equally divine persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'll say it one more time. We believe in one God who exists as or in three equally divine persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe in one being who exists in three persons. We see the triune nature of God from the beginning of creation, Genesis 1, 28. Then God, who is just God, uh, 
said, let us, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. What's it speaking of? It's speaking of that God is triune in nature. He is singular, but He is triune in His nature. One of the clearest pictures that we have of this is in Galatians, and it shows how the Godhead was involved in saving humanity. Galatians 4, 4 and 6, it says this, But when the set time had fully come, the Father sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are His sons. The Father sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So we serve a God who is singular, but triune in nature. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God who exists equally and who exists in equally divine beings, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so many of you right now want me to explain that more. I can't. Remember his understanding, we cannot fathom. So people say, how is that? How is that? God, did God create? Did God create these people? No, they were uncreated. They always were that way. It's the way that they are. And so I'll just say this, God is not an egg. And so don't, Like we try and say, God is like an egg. No, he's not like an egg. He's like God. We say, God is like a bowl of water with ice in it. No, God is not like a bowl of water with ice in it. He's like God. Okay, he is God. He's not an egg. He's not a bowl of water with ice in it with steam. He is God. He is one God who exists as or in three equally divine beings, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the reality is that all of them are at play in salvation. All of them are at play in our lives and all of them are at play in the world today. Why? Because they are one in their unity. God was not created. Jesus was not created. The Holy Spirit was not created. They are all God in three persons. Jesus was the Word in flesh. Jess read it today, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus wasn't created. The reason I say that is because Jesus was not like a demigod, half God, half man. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man with no mixture because God is not in part. What He is, He is fully And so you have to understand that that is just what we believe about God. He's triune in nature. He is one God, but He is triune in nature, which actually means this, that the Holy Spirit that God has breathed into you at the moment of salvation needs to play an integral part in your life. And so it's not just the Father, the Son and the Holy Scriptures. It's the Father and it's the Son and it is the Holy Spirit in your life. The Spirit of God, when you came to God in faith, He breathed, you received His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus, is just as much God as the Father because we believe in one God who eternally exists in three equally divine persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit needs to play an integral part of your life. What's the best way I can explain it? Well, do you know what? I don't have to. I, could just read, I can just read something because the church has actually defined it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In church history, 
when, when there was a contentious issue or when there was false teachings being taught, they would hold these things called councils and then out of the councils would probably be, would, would come like a creed and the creed is what the church would believe. So the people would get together, they'd argue about it and then they would say, this is what we actually believe. Somewhere between the 4th and the 7th um, century, they wrote what we know now as the Athanasius Creed. It wasn't Athanasius didn't write it. There was a man named Athanasius. He didn't write it, but he fought for the triune nature of God. And then the church collectively said, yes, we agree out of honour of Athanasius. They called it the Athanasius Creed. They said, we actually believe that God is triune. This is what they wrote. This is what we actually believe about God. This is the Athanasius Creed. It says this, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings, but there is one uncreated and immeasurable being. That's what we believe about the triune nature of God. It's who He is. And so what should our response be to all of that? We should take God in His wholeness. For the Father's love sent the Son. The Son died for all humanity. And then the Son and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to be with you each and every day of your life. For surely I am with you even to the end of the age. And so all of those elements of who God is should play an integral part in how we approach God. Amazing. God is triune in nature. He is one God that we serve. That is three persons. He's triune in nature. Now let's talk about some divine attributes that belong to God and God alone. The first one is this. uh, God is all knowing. He is all knowing. He knows everything, which means this. He knows himself and all things fully. He even knows your thoughts. He is all-knowing. He knows what's happened in your past. He knows what's going to happen in your future. He knows the choices that you are going to make. He knows it all. And so what could our simple response be to a God who knows it all? He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows the beginning and the end. The response is simply this. We should trust Him. Why? Because He knows. And so when we stress, you know, it says, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, like tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. It's like, it's easy for you to say, Jesus. Well, I'm sitting here and I'm concerned. I'm worried. The maturity in faith is coming to a point where you can say, you know what? I'm actually not going to worry, but I have peace because my God knows. He knows. And so if He knows, we can have full trust that we can trust Him because He's not a God who doesn't know. He's not a God who's like, Oh my gosh, I did not see that one coming. That must have really hurt you and upset you. And I don't know. Think about this. Think about Joseph in the Bible. 
Think about it. He gets these dreams. It's amazing. He's going to do all this stuff. Then he gets sold and then he's being faithful, 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 but it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden God brings and he steps into the fulfilment of all of his dreams and all of the stuff that God promised him and all of that kind of stuff. Joseph continued to trust the Lord. Why? Because the Lord knew. So even if you look at your situation and you go, I don't know, and I can't comprehend what is happening right now. God does. So your trust is not in you and your ability. Your trust is in the fact that you serve a God who's bigger than we could ever think, dream or imagine, who's high and exalted, no one above him, no one beside him, nobody even beneath him. He is in a category of his own and he knows when you sit, when you stand. He knows what you're thinking. He knows everything. And so even in the quietest place that you can find in your bedroom, when you shut the door, if you pray to him, even in your thoughts, he hears you and he knows what's going on. God knows. Second one is this. God is everywhere. He's everywhere. Uh, Jeremiah 20, 23, 23, 24. Uh, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I think David, it was David who said, when I go to the highest peaks, there you are, Lord, and in the lowest valleys, there you are as well. God is everywhere. He is everywhere. And you know what? The Bible says that creation reveals all of who God is. And so even when we look at creation, go for a walk in the bush and look at creation, it reveals who God is. He is everywhere. He is in everything. He is, He knows. He's not far off and distant from you. It's not when you're on the peaks of life, it's He's close to you. And it's not in the valleys of life, He's far away from you. Whether you feel Him close or not, does not, like that doesn't dictate whether or not he is close or not. So you might feel, oh, I feel like God's far away. Well, he's not. The Bible says he's right there in every circumstance, in every situation, which means this. Newsflash, guess what? You can trust him. Because we do not serve a God who has left us or forsaked us. We serve a God who is right here right now, in every moment, in every circumstance, in every situation that you will face in your life, whether really good or whether really bad, God is with you. Jesus says, I am with you even to the very end of the age. And so the understanding whether you're going through the hardest things in your life or the easiest things in your life, if you have an understanding, no matter what I walk through in life, God is with me. He is with me. It gives you what? peace, that even though I don't understand everything that's going on in my life, I know that God is with me. He is with me. He has not left me. Even if your feelings feel like He has left you, guess what? He hasn't. And you can't hide from Him either. We can't hide from God. It's funny to me, you know, sometimes you pastor, you talk to people, I'm not ready for God to deal with this, deal with that, all that kind of stuff. And I understand, but it's almost like it's like a secret to God. He knows and He's a good God. We might as well surrender and let Him take every part of our life. He's, there's no secrets to God in your life. He knows you better than you know Him, you, you, you know yourself. And if He is good, and if He does have our best interest in mind, 
then can we not trust him? We can trust him. And you might say, yeah, but if I do this or if I surrender this, then this, this, that, that might happen. If I give my life over to God fully, then that might happen. And that set off a train reaction. Well, to that I say, he knows. And to that I say, no matter what happens, he will continue to be with you through the fire and through the trial. You know, there's that song, it's the Hebrew boys going into the furnace. Uh, There is another in the fire. You know, sometimes the hardest part about going through something difficult in your life is doing it alone. But the reality is that God is everywhere and that means he is with you. And so you're not doing it alone. God doesn't promise to make your life perfect, but he does promise that you will never do it alone ever again, for he is with you. And so if you're going through the fire right now, you feel like you're going through a fire or or a, or a situation or something's going wrong, can I just encourage you this morning? He is with you and he knows. He's with you and he knows. Um, next one is this. God is all powerful. Luke 1, 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. The Bible says, if he is for you, then who can stand against you? If he is for you, then who can stand against you? If God is holy, utterly unique, all-powerful, if Isaiah's first glimpse of God was a holy reverence and fear of God, if he is all-powerful, the creator of like literally everything, the ocean deep, the, the, the stars in the sky, literally everything, he is all-powerful and he is on your side. He chose his side. He chose to be on the side of humanity when he went to a cross and he died for you and me, which means he is on our side. The God who is all powerful, he is on our side. As a church, as the church, we are called his bride. We are the bride of Christ. We are God's bride. So we have a, to use the analogy, a husband who is all powerful. So what do we have to be afraid of? For the Bible says, what can mere mortals do to you and I when we serve a God who is all powerful? And so what should our response be? We can trust Him. You can trust Him with your salvation, with your life, with any situation or circumstance that you're going through. You can trust Him. Why? Because He is all powerful. God does not lack resource. He doesn't lack anything. There's no lack in God. He has all the resource in all the world to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. What should our response be? To trust him. Why? Because he sees, because he's with us and because he has power to act if he wills to act. And so we can actually trust God and we should come to him. And the Bible says we should come to him and pray to him and ask him. And you should not ask him like he's a God who does not have the ability to do something, but you should come to him with boldness and ask him like he's the God, as it says in Luke, that there is nothing impossible for God. Nothing impossible for God. God is unchanging. Malachi 3, 6. I, the Lord, do not change. That's pretty straight to the point. I, the Lord... Uh, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. In Hebrews, it says Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Um, 
Anyone see the movie The Shack? A few people saw the movie The Shack. It probably made you cry if you saw the movie The Shack. Everyone likes the movie The Shack. The only problem I have with the movie of The Shack is the outright heresy it is about God, that God changes dependent on our feelings and dependent on our needs. God does not have to change dependent on your feelings and dependent on your needs. Because I'll tell you why. Because He is everything that you need, everything that you could ever possibly want, everything you could ever possibly need at every moment of every day, in every time, in every year, in every season. He is all that you will ever need. He does not need to change because He is everything. He is all that you will ever need in every circumstance. He has all the resource in the world, all the power in the world, all of that. So He has everything. He does not change to fit our feelings. He does not have to change to fit our feelings. He does not change to fit our circumstances and our situations. He does not have to change to fit our circumstances and situations because He is all that we need in every moment of every day. And so we should approach God as the understanding that, listen, God, you are not gonna change. I am coming because you are everything that I need in every moment and I'm going to trust you. That you are unchanging. And so if you said it, I believe that you're going to do it. Even if my circumstances like Joseph, you think Joseph, when he was in prison, after he'd faithfully did all this stuff to God and still ended up in prison, you think he was kind of thinking like, geez, this doesn't look like it's, this looks like it's going exactly how I thought it was gonna go. But he continued to trust the Lord. So you can trust the God, Lord, because he does not change. He is everything you need in every moment of every day. You can simply come to him and trust him. We can come to him and trust him. The keys can come back up. I've only got two more. Uh, this one's an interesting one, but God is simplistic. God is simplistic. Not meaning that He is simple or, or easy to understand, um, but meaning God is not in, He's not in part, which means He's not like 50% unchanging, 20% loving, and you know, 30% the creator of the universe. What God is, He is fully. What God is, He is fully. Even all of these attributes, He's not 10% power, 10% unchanging, 10% everywhere. He is, what He is, He is fully. God is not in part. God is simply this, I am that I am. So who are you? I am that I am. God is in perfect unity with Himself. There is no mixture in God of His attributes. Sometimes when we talk about attributes of God, we say, well, God is like this and He's like this. No, all of those things are like God because God does not, is not made up of all of these things. He is who He is and all of these things come from Him. He is Himself, Himself. And I know this is super confusing, but it's because God is who He is. I am that I am. God is simple. He's not easy to understand, but it's simply this. He is who He is. So what should our response be? That we trust Him, that God, You are who You are. And I'm going to trust You. You are who You are. And I'm going to trust You. God being infinitely simple has nothing, has nothing in Himself which is not Himself. He has nothing in Himself which is not 
himself. Meaning, he doesn't have love, he is love. He doesn't have wisdom and knowledge, he is wisdom and knowledge. He doesn't have power, he is power. He is on his own, his very essence and existence. All that God is, is God. He is the lone worthy object of all of our worship and gratitude. All things look ultimately to Him for their being, but He looks to none. For God is simplistic. I am who I am. He is who He is. Every being in the world, everything on all creation look to Him to find who they are. He looks to no one. He always was, He always is, and He always will be. He is our own, our lone object of worship in all the earth. Why do we gather on a Sunday? To worship Him. One who is not in part. The one who has no mixture. The one who all things come from creator of the heavens and the earth who is on our side. God is simple, meaning He is who He is. And I always think that our response to Him, knowing who God is, knowing a bit about who He is, our response to Him should be quite simple. I trust you. If you are who you say you are, I trust you. That's it. If you are, who you say you are, then I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my relationships. I trust you. Because why? Because He is who He is. And so I trust you. The last one is this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Meaning He is the Lord of all. Meaning He is in control. We are not robots, we have free will. God does not make our decisions for us, but He is in control. Why? Because He knows, because He's there, because He's all powerful, because He is who He is. He is the Lord of all. Uh, A prayer from the believers in the book of Acts, Acts chapter four, when they were in a a moment of persecution, um, they come and they pray to the Lord. And they say this, they, rose, they raised their voices together in prayer to Lord and they said, Sovereign Lord, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. How should you approach God like that? God, hallowed be Your name. When you come to God in prayer, it's not necessarily like, hey bro, what's up man? It's gonna be good. No, it's, hey, Sovereign Lord. Why? because it reprioritizes you in the correct order. We are not beside God. We are not above God. God is not a genie who we boss around. God is not someone we tell what to do. He is the sovereign Lord. And so we would do well as Christians when we always come to the Lord, to come to Him first and foremost as the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One, God exalted above all else because it reprioritizes us in the correct position to approach our Father. And the goodness of God, in His goodness, He calls you friend. You see, it's got nothing to do with us. 
What Christ has done for us and you and I and our relationship with God has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with Him for He is the initiator. We are simply the responders. How is He the initiator? Well, there's a thousand ways, but the first way is He is the initiator because He always was and always will be and always is. He just is who He is. I am who I am. And so we come into His presence, Sovereign Lord. Because you know what else it tells you when you come to the God as Sovereign Lord, hallowed be Your Name, You are kind, exalted above all in my life. You know what it does? It actually also positions you to believe what you're praying, to believe what you're asking for, because you're coming to the Sovereign Lord, the Lord of all, not just the one who's your friend, sits at the table with you, who ministers to your every need and every uh, feeling and You know, we come to Him and we feel His presence and and He loves us and it's great. But the Sovereign Lord, the Lord of all, He actually has the authority and the power to do and to will and to act. The Sovereign Lord. And so we should have a position as believers that if He is sovereign and He is the Lord of Lords, our worship and adoration to God our trust in Him and our ability to follow Him should not come from what He does in our life. Meaning, it's great that Jesus died on the cross for us, has saved us and it's amazing and it's the goodness of God. And do you know what? That is, it's, it is finished, right? So if He does nothing else in your life, He is still worthy of all of our praise and all of our honour and all of our glory. If you get no prayer ever answered again the way that you think it's going to be answered, then He is still worth all of our honour, all of our glory and all of our praise. It's great, the goodness and the mercy of God, what Jesus did on the cross. But even further back than that, He was still worth all of our glory, all of our praise and all of our honour. Why? Because He is the Creator of the universe. He is who He is, utterly holy and unique, high and exalted above all else. He he does not need to do anything else in my life. He does not need to do anything else in your life to to dictate our worship towards Him. Our worship towards the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes because He is just that. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who breathed life into your lungs, who created the world. He is worthy of all of our worship and all of our honour, regardless of what He does in our life. Maturity as a Christian comes. And it is, and I grant it, I'll give you, it is hard at times that it comes when we no longer worship God for His hands in our life, but we worship God for simply His heart and who He is. For I think intimacy with God comes when you stop worshipping God for what He could do in your life and what He has done in your life and you begin to simply worship Him for who He is, the Creator of the universe. He's so good, the goodness of God. So let me read that Scripture again to you, Isaiah 40. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. 
He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know, other translations, they translate hope to what? Trust. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. So what is our response to all of who God is? If you profess faith in God today, our response is simple. We can trust Him. You can put your trust and your faith in Him. Everything that you have, everything that you need, all of your past, all of your future, you can trust Him. And the Bible says that those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They will, grow, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You, the understanding, if you understand that the Creator of the universe is on your side, you understand that you no longer walk around like a defeated person, even if everything in your life looks defeated. Why? Because you are on the side of victory. For if God is for you, then who can stand against you? If God is who He says He is and He's for you like He says He's for you and He didn't even just say it, He put flesh in the game on the cross to tell you that He is for you, then what can we be afraid of? We are on the side of victory, church. You are on the side of victory. Christians are not defeated people walking around with their head moping. Even if everything went completely bad and Christians in this country got absolutely persecuted and we were no longer allowed to meet and all of this stuff, do you know what? We would still be on the side of victory because He's still on the throne and He is who He says He is. Come on, can we pray this morning? Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.